0: Well, I invite you to turn uh, to our passage this morning. It's page 3 in the bulletin, or in your Bible, Romans chapter 5. This week at Vacation Bible School, we studied through the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, and we spent a significant portion of that time looking specifically at Adam and Eve in the garden, why would we do that? <laughs> why would we, of all the important, significant passages of Scripture, why, why put time and effort into zooming in on Adam in the garden? Well, this morning we're going to let the Apostle Paul answer that question. Uh, as Paul, really the Holy Spirit, inspiring Paul, so we'll ask the Holy Spirit, why is Adam so important? Uh, and, and we'll hear his words Uh, through the book of Romans, and take it to heart for our lives together. So let's first just read uh, Romans 5, uh, verses 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, "...abounded for many. For the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience... Many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, use your word to teach and instruct. And encourage and build up and save, we pray. All through your Holy Spirit, praying now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You will never fully understand Jesus until you fully understand Adam. You can't fully comprehend the depths of the riches of the glory in Jesus. Until you understand the depths of the fall in Adam. So argues the Apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit, through Paul. Uh, so, uh, Paul is going to put Adam and Christ side by side. So that we can fully understand and fully be amazed, or at least more fully, by the work of Christ. He puts them side by side. And we study them so that we can better understand. Uh, The glory of Jesus. Maybe understanding the glory of Jesus for the very first time. Maybe you're someone who's here and you've heard a lot about Jesus, but it's never quite clicked why it's so important uh, to to have him do what he did and to know him through faith. Uh, So maybe it's understanding that more fully for the very first time. But maybe you're like the ones Paul's writing to here, and you've been a believer for some time. Paul's writing to Christians here. Uh, they already know about Jesus. They already trust and believe in Jesus. But yet he wants to have them develop a fuller understanding, a richer understanding. Because he knows, as he's going to go on to say in chapter 12, that it's through the renewing of their minds that they're transformed. And so we'll trust that God will do that in us. Whether, it's, uh, whether we're very new uh, to the faith or we've been walking with the Lord for a long time. That through the renewing of our minds... Uh, we are changed and transformed. So here, uh, here's Paul writing to, to the Romans believers. He's been explaining to them uh, the gospel and unpacking it in all its glory. And now he, he kind of, having explained the core of it already, he actually kind of retells the story. Uh, but he does it from a much more cosmic perspective by, by ta- looking at these two individuals, Adam Adam. Christ and setting them side by side and so we'll we'll look at that together it's a fairly complex passage we won't be able to dive into every little detail Uh, we're gonna try to focus on what is really the key major points and we'll summarize it this way as it's listed in your outline two representatives two acts two outcomes and then two applications so starting off with what's really the foundation of it all two representatives and we'll spend longer here to kind of get the foundation laid so clearly the two individuals Paul is talking about here are Adam uh, in the garden and the Lord Jesus Paul says verse 14 that Adam is a type of the one who was to come Adam was a type of the one who was to come uh, a type a, a picture a foreshadowing of something bigger and better That was Adam. Uh, That who he was and what he was about in the garden uh, was a a foreshadowing, a picture of something bigger and better in Jesus. And that's what he's unpacking in this section. How Adam and Christ are alike, and how they're also very, very different. Uh, Christ gloriously better. And the first thing we want to notice about Adam and Christ is that they are both representatives. They're both representatives. They both act... But not act for themselves alone; they act representing a huge group of others. So what they do and what they bring about is not just for themselves, but for every person they represent. Uh, they're representatives. They, or to use the theological language, they are covenant heads. Covenant heads. Uh, covenant. Uh, that's what the word the Bible uses to describe how God relates. Uh, to those made in his image. That God, he stoops down uh, on our level and makes these solemn relationships, these solemn pacts with with the people that he has made. Covenants. Uh, And and to these these agreements, he guarantees them by his word. and, And covenants have a leading representative, a covenant head. And here he looks at the two key covenants, the one with Adam and the one with with Christ, and seeing how uh, the, the 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 first and then the second uh, relate to one another, and how they're gloriously different. And part of how to understand that is to understand the representative and how this how this works. And so you look, for example, at God's relationship with Adam uh, there in the garden. Adam is created there in the garden, created there with the tree of life. This implied picture of God's promise to Adam that uh, that Adam will be sustained and confirmed in eternal life if he continues uh, and passes the uh, the test, the probation, which which focuses in on that other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, where God tells tells Adam and Eve, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So there's the command. Uh, there's the, 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 the covenant command and, and test. Uh, and, of course, uh, we, we know how that turned out. It didn't go well. Adam sins. Uh, and so he breaks this covenant, what theologians call a covenant of works or a covenant of life, uh, both uh, have, highlighting different aspects of uh, having to do with Adam and how he works and the life that he could have uh, been confirmed in. But Adam sins. And, and brings about that death that God promised. But it wasn't just for himself alone, as Paul highlights here. Uh, he was a representative. He represented the entire human race, which is why Paul can say in verse 18, for example, uh, this one sin, this one uh, breaking of the law, this one trespass, and death comes to all. One sin, Adam, eats from the fruit, uh, from the tree, and death comes to all. Hold it. How does does condemnation and death come to me because of what somebody else did in the garden? Paul says, because Adam represents me. He's my covenant head. Um, uh, He he represents you and every other person. Uh, His sin is counted then as your sin. He is the representative, the covenant head. Which is why to, to undo, to fix, uh, to transform and, and rescue from Adam's sin, what God needed to bring about is a new representative. A new covenant with a new covenant head. And of course, that's the Lord Jesus. What theologians like to call the covenant of grace. Here's this new one to come uh, and, and succeed where Adam fails. And do so not just for himself, but for all that he represents, all that he is connected to, and that is all uh, believers. And so you get kind of this whole idea summarized in verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Uh, so we're going to unpack more of that in a minute, but just for now, notice Two representatives. What they do counts for others. What they do counts for others. Uh, which, which may be harder for us to wrap our minds around. But actually, if we look around in, in everyday life, there are places where we see this in just the real world and, and it makes, makes sense to us automatically. Um, uh, probably the easiest place to go would be in the world of sports. Take your favorite team sport, and you're very used to the idea of of a a team leader or a team captain. Uh, What he does represents the rest of the team. Uh, I'll give you a quick illustration from this week from one of my favorite sports. So Monday night was a fairly big game for the U.S. women's national team, soccer team. The finals of a big tournament. And and it was 0-0 throughout the whole game until almost towards the very end. Uh, there was a huge opportunity for the U.S. Uh, A U.S. player was illegally tripped, penalty kick, Uh, so one kick, just the goalie, perfect opportunity to score, they need a representative. So of course they pick their top scorer, Uh, one of their team leaders, and and if she scores, guess what, everybody wins. She represents the whole team. She scores, almost definitely the game is over, and, and the whole team wins. Everybody gets the trophy. Everybody gets the prize money. Right? Even the player on the team who had the worst game ever, who played horribly the whole time, uh, that team leader scores, she gets the trophy too. The idea of representation. What one person does counts for the whole team. And that's the idea, uh, a, a little human representation of, of what we're talking about here. Adam represents the whole team. So Jesus also represents the whole team. Um, but maybe that brings up a, a question in your mind. Maybe that, that kind of strikes as, well, okay, I'm willing to buy it in sports, but when it comes to big stuff like life, death, salvation, I'm not so sure this is fair. Is this fair? You know, I'm, I don't know if I, if I want Adam representing me. I, I'd like to do it myself and have, it, have me count for me. Uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure that's very fair. It's a good question. It makes sense to, to wrestle with it. Uh, we could say a couple things. Uh, one is, whenever we're trying to wrestle with, hey, hold it, is this fair? Uh, we, we should always ask ourselves, well, how would you how would you determine what's fair and unfair? How would you determine what's just and unjust? Is it just my ideas of just and fair versus your ideas versus, you know, a first century AD person's idea of fair? How would you judge what's fair and what's not? Well, God would be the definition of what fair and unfair is, right? The the one who made the world. uh, The one who is, by very definition, just and righteous in all he does. So, if he set up this relationship, this idea of of representatives, of covenant heads, uh, it has got to be just and fair. Even if, in my mind, I don't quite... Mm, mm, okay, we, we can say, I'm having trouble wrapping my mind around it. Um, but but the God creator God, who is, by very definition, just, uh, would only set up something that is fair and just. So we can say that. Uh, we can also uh, say this. We can't assume that we would do any better than Adam did. Which is part of the... Part of the thing, we're like, oh, well, yeah, but if I was in the garden, I would do better, right? Really? I mean, you could turn to Eve. Eve was not a covenant head, and she didn't do any better. Uh, you could turn to the entire course of your life, because basically, each of us, throughout the course of our lives, prove that Adam was actually a very good representative of us, right? Because in our, in our course of our life, we sin again and again and again. We follow in Adam's footsteps. And so we basically proved that he was actually a very good representative of us, uh, and that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Fun intended? <laughs> um, so he, he does represent us, and, and so we can't assume we would do any better. And probably the most important thing, especially with respect to Romans 5, is if we really want to toss out this idea of representative, of covenant head, guess what we just <laughs> eliminate? Any hope of salvation. We toss out Jesus. Because if if we don't want Adam to represent us and we want to go it alone, then that means it's just me and my sin, and that's it. And we have no hope of salvation. The glorious news of representative is we get exactly what we don't deserve, right? There's the there's the how much better in Jesus. We look at Adam and say, Well, yeah, I, I actually would do the same thing. But in Jesus, you get the how much better? Here I get a representative, and I don't deserve it. Right? Even even in the midst of me still struggling with my sin. Right? You still struggling with your sin. Right? We're having the, the worst spiritual game ever. <clears throat> right? Lousy spiritual game. It's awful. But he Jesus scores and, and we get the trophy. You don't deserve any of it. There's the good news, the glorious news of Representative. Well, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but we say we're we're laying the foundation here. So we have two representatives. Uh, one more thing we probably should mention uh, as we're laying foundational things. Notice here how it's it's quite clear that Paul is presenting Adam and Jesus as real historical figures, right? He's he's presenting them as real individuals who actually lived and actually did things. And and, and, and that's probably important to mention uh, because you will hear probably an increasing amount, even in churchy circles, that, yeah, Adam couldn't have lived. That couldn't have been a real person. Or, or even, it's okay, we can still believe the Bible and just call Adam a myth, call Adam a parable. And, well, that's not how Paul is presenting it here, is it? Uh, he, he puts Adam and Jesus and talks about them as if they were real people who really lived and really acted, and those actions had real consequences. Uh, and so, uh, important to note. And of course, we start to throw out Adam. We gotta, Do we throw out Jesus next? And that's not good. Um, so, it's probably just important to, important to notice as we're going through. So, two real historic representatives, and now we're set up to follow the, where this heads. These two representatives have two acts. Uh, So what these representatives do, Adam sinned. Verse 18, uh, Paul calls it one trespass, one breaking of God's law. God issues a decree, do not eat of the tree. Adam brazenly breaks that law, trespass. He also uses the language in verse 19 of disobedience. God calls him to obey this good, holy command. And Adam doesn't obey. He disobeys the voice of his good, loving Creator. And that all in sharp contrast to Christ. Now, one trespass of Adam, and what Paul says is one act of righteousness in Christ. Disobedience of the first Adam, obedience of, of the second. Now, in one sense, you could look at the entire life of Jesus... As one long act of obedience to God. Uh, It's it's great what Sam read earlier this morning, putting side by side the account of Genesis, uh, Adam in the garden, and Luke with Jesus in the wilderness. Because here you have first and second Adam. First and second Adam both tempted by the devil. Essentially the same temptation in both cases. God's not good. God's not taking care of you. God's word can't be trusted. Uh, But two very different acts, right? Adam, Adam buys the law, disobeys, trespasses God's law, whereas Jesus obeys righteousness. And that just being a picture of what Jesus' entire life is, isn't it? Uh, And of course, it, it, it has a, a culmination, a climax in his death on the cross. What, what Paul calls in Philippians, that he's obedient to death on a cross. You could actually go uh, into, into Jesus in a, in a different garden. So here you could put garden and garden side by side. You have Adam in the Garden of Eden. But then think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe not, not a coincidence that they're both gardens. But anyway, think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember his prayer there. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, you know allow me to get get around the cross, but not my will, but your will be done. Think of how that is the exact opposite of Adam in his garden right where Adam was uh, not your will, my will be done. And now here's the second Adam coming along, uh, and now, right, with Adam, it was actually so what was being kept from him was actually something that would hurt him. So God's command was—it was—he it, it was—it was life. Now here is Jesus, and the command actually is to surrender his life. And yet he does the exact opposite. Not, me, but your will. Right, second Adam, different act, uh, succeeding exactly where the first Adam failed. And those actions, as we said, right, representatives, they're not acting for themselves alone. They represent all that they're connected to. And so Adam, as the representative of a whole human race, by nature, we are all in Adam, connected to Adam. And so his disobedience counts for us. Or to, um, to use the language of verse 19, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So Adam's sin is credited to my account, uh, and now as if it were mine, because he represented me. So too, praise the Lord, uh, and so much better, right? Adam, we would we copy him anyway, but here's 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 a very different representative, the very one we do not copy uh, by nature, and that's Christ. And his one obedience is credited to my account. Right? His act of righteousness is credited to me. If I'm connected to him by faith, uh, now that gets credited to my account. Or to use the theological language, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to me. Right, So now, through faith in Christ, God looks at me, and he doesn't see the fact that I'm having the worst spiritual game of my life. Uh, the, the worst spiritual life of my life. He doesn't. He doesn't see that. He just sees the righteousness of Christ. He just sees that Christ scores the goal, and now he treats me as if all that were mine, and I get, I get the prize money. I get eternal life, which brings us now bleeding into uh, the two outcomes. Uh, the two acts result in two very different things. So again, we'll start with Adam, verse sixteen. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So because of Adam's sin, and because he represents us, uh, there comes in this sentence of condemnation. It's kind of courtroom language, uh, that God, the judge of the world, uh, bangs the gavel and declares guilty, condemned. and, And the sentence, verse 17, the sentence is death and death reigning through the one man. So it's not just for Adam, bang the gavel, uh, guilty, condemned, sentence of death. Uh, it's, it's for all he represents. Us. Uh, the, 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 the condemnation and the reign of death comes to all those Adam represents. But then a very different outcome for those who are connected to Christ because of his one action. Right? So again, we could go to verse 16. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. The free gift through Christ of what he did, again, representing us. So if you're connected to Jesus by faith, then all of a sudden, here's the outcome that comes uh, for you. Again, it's it's a judicial courtroom thing. Uh, justification, which is just courtroom language, for God banging the heavenly gavel and saying, forgiven, righteous, holy in my sight. Jesus did that work. He was the one who obeyed. But if you're connected to him, then that counts for you. And that outcome is now yours. He looks at you. And you get all the blessings of life what he says, uh, verse 17, you get to see him, the, the, the description of this outcome for those who are connected to Jesus. Uh, the second half, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man. Do you notice how, how Paul here uses that language of a, of a kingly reign? Right, that, that's ultimately the outcome from uh, from each of these two men. Right, in Adam there is the kingly reign of death; death reigns uh, in Adam. But completely different in Christ, the reign of life. <coughs> two two outcomes. So now now we're kind of set up and we're ready to ready to think a little more how this connects to us, and specifically. Renewing our minds in how we think about the world and how we think about ourselves. First, how we think about the world. It is so easy, isn't it? It is so easy to be so discouraged by the world. You just look around, you, you take in this day's news. Like yesterday's news, and the day before, and the day before, and it seems like it's horrible, horrible, and we're horrible. And it's so easy to just be overwhelmed by it, to be discouraged by it, to be fearful because of it. Well, well, first, Romans 5 helps explain it. This is the world in Adam. Now, What, what we're seeing and taking in is the reign of death physical and especially spiritual death reigning in Adam. And so it's, it's, not, it's not you going crazy or you just being uh, overly depressive, you know, kind of a gloomy Eeyore, stop it, you're crazy. No, no, you're actually seeing something real. You're not crazy. This is the world in Adam. It's the reign of death. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, the world is a place of cemeteries. The world is a place of cemeteries. Yeah, in Adam, it's death reigning. Physically, but, but also, also that, that spiritual death. And that's what we see. And, and it's really nothing new. It manifests itself a little bit different down through the ages from one generation to another. But it really, it really, at the heart of it, nothing has changed. It's the same stench of Adam. It's the stench of death. And so, and so we shouldn't be surprised when we smell it. It's right to be horrified by it. Uh, or it's right to see it for the ugly thing it is. But we shouldn't be surprised by it. Right? And, and that's probably a, probably a significant thing. Because sometimes it's, it's the surprise that, that, can, that can push us into fear. Uh, and, and acting in sinful fear. Uh, what, 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 what's going on? We, Romans five helps us understand exactly what's going on. Yes, this this is the world in Adam, and so when you smell the stench of death, you can say yes, this is the world under condemnation in death. The Bible tells me to expect it, but we also have in this passage uh, how that that in Adam world is not the final word. Uh, that there is there is one. Stronger than Adam. Now that there is a reign stronger than the reign of death, and we see Jesus, and the free gift is is not like the trespass. Paul said, right uh, in death. If this death reigned through the one man, how much more, Paul says, will the will the free gift of righteousness reign in life, where where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And so here's that. Here's the hope we have. Right? The, the ugliness is real, but it's not the final word because God entered in, entered in himself uh, to break that reign, to bring about the dawn of something very new uh, and very real, breaking the shackles uh, of Adam. And so, as God takes a hold, uh, one heart at a time, right? Building, building his people up, he's, he's fixing that in Adam ugliness. Uh, and he's doing it in our world. Uh, it, it, sometimes it doesn't make the headlines, uh, but but it, it's real. And we're told that that, uh, that breaking of the reign of death and the, the reign of life, uh, well, Jesus himself says it's like a mustard seed. It starts small, but it's going to grow. It's going to grow. Uh, so we, we fill our minds with that encouragement. right? Uh, the ugliness doesn't and will not have the final word. It also shows us, uh, shows us what the solution is. That the solution is not going to come by kind of rearranging the, the the gravestones of this world. Ultimately, right? We're not going to be able to fix everything with just the right policy or program or no. The uh, the answer is is Jesus, a whole new covenant head, a whole new reign. And so there's our ultimate hope for ourselves and for the world. Right? We want we need to know this Jesus and be connected to him, and we need others. To know him too. And so we pray for it, and we work for it, and we trust that he is at work. So it helps us understand the world. It also helps us change how we think about ourselves. Right? As, as discouraging as the world out there can be, uh, it, many times what's even more deflating uh, is, is when we wrestle with ourselves. Uh, when we, In some ways, when we see the ugliness out there and we're feeling good about ourselves there can be a little bit of lift in the sense of, yeah, at least I'm not like them. Uh, until you are. Right? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, all the air is now out of my tires. Uh, right? There, there can be nothing more discouraging than realizing that, yeah, you, you actually are like them. That's, that sin does reign here too. Uh, and it can deflate, it can discourage, it can send you into a tailspin, it can make you just numb... But along comes Romans 5 and gives this glorious, glorious news. But yes, yes, in Adam, you and I too, there was this reign of death. But now, now in Christ, if you're connected to him, believer, is a completely different story. A completely different reign. And it's just getting started. It's, it's grace. right? It's getting what you don't deserve. It's realizing, yes, you, you have had the worst spiritual game of your life. But guess what? Jesus did something so that you now walk away with the great eternal trophy. You don't deserve it, but that's what's beginning. That's what he's done. And again, it's just just getting started. Because as Paul is going to go on in Romans 6, the the chains of sin are broken so that more and more we look like Jesus. Uh, He's acted for us. There's the good news. We can tell ourselves, and we need to tell ourselves day after day. I I love the way one preacher puts it. He says, there is more grace in Jesus Christ than there is sin in you. When you feel discouraged about yourself, let that one rattle around in your head. There is more grace in Jesus Christ than there is sin in you. And the very definition of a believer is to be connected to that Jesus. You're connected to the one that there is more grace in him than there is sin in you. So where sin increased, grace increased. All the time. There's our hope. There's our encouragement. There's the thing we can we can we can rest in. I know we want to rest in the fact that we're are we've done it and we we're the good guy. And there's something actually better that will not let us down. In fact, it will lead all the way to eternal life. Right? Resting in Christ. And of course, this passage also helps you understand yourself if you if you don't know Christ. Maybe you've heard his name, but don't really not really trusting in him. Uh, this passage also explains what's, what your world is like uh, and, and what you need and the hope that's offered. right Apart from Jesus, uh, all of us and, and this would be you uh, apart from life and, and, and death is, is, is what's reigning that's spiritual death. and maybe you even feel it. Uh, but even if you don't feel it, it's what the Bible says is true. It's it's the reign of death. Uh, And it'll only get worse. But here's the good news. Uh, Quite apart from anything we can contribute, Christ gives a free gift. Uh, It's life. But it's only in him. It's only connected to Jesus. And we're we're connected to Jesus as the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of us and as we grab a hold uh, of Christ by faith. We, We simply go to him, Lord, have mercy on me a sinner. And then then the reign of death is replaced with the reign of of life. It's good news. It's hope and strength here. Uh, and it's something that lasts into eternity. It, it, when, when all the days of in Adam are gone, and all that's left is the glorious reign of Christ in life. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds, that you would show us the wonderful things that you've done, that we would rest more and more fully uh, in him, and, Lord, that you would be glorified as the great rescuer uh, of your people. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.